0: We shall turn now to the Word of God, to the book of the Revelation, and we may turn just now to chapter 17 and read uh, from the verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither. I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now, as we said the previous Sabbath that we were in Revelation, We have this great whore identified and we jumped uh, over to chapter 17 temporarily because of the previous intimation made by an angel in chapter 14. There followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And you will see that this is a momentous event. It is again referred to in the chapter 18, verse 2. A mighty angel cried, mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird, and so on. And this intimation is made more than once. And you will see in the general context why this would seem necessary. Because we read, for example, verse 10 of chapter 18 of those uh, kings of the earth and they're standing, verse 10, afar off for fear of our torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour Is thy judgment come? It's as though they cannot comprehend it. They cannot believe the sudden downfall of mighty Babylon. They just cannot grasp it, that in such a short time, this mighty city is so decimated. Verse 16 again of the same chapter. They're the merchants now. And they are saying, verse 16, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and so on. Verse 17, for in one hour so great riches is come to naught. And then the shipmaster and the sailors, the merchants, they're crying out in verse 18, What city is like unto this great city. Verse 19, they're casting dust on their heads and mourning, alas, alas, that great city. And you go down then to verse 21, mighty angel takes up a stone, a millstone, casts it down into the sea in a symbolic act. Thus, with violence shall that great city Babylon be uh, thrown down and shall be found no more at all. So this is a most momentous event, the downfall and the overthrow of this great city, Babylon. But as we said previously, there are two great cities, and they are contrasted. Uh, the great city of Babylon, and then later Uh, We have in uh, chapter 21 another great city and it is New Jerusalem. Uh, Verse 9 of chapter 21 One of the angels came to John saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. I will show show you the whore first. Now I will show you The bride I will show you, the lamb's wife, his faithful wife, in contrast. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And, of course, when we come to it, we shall see that that contrast with the unholy Jerusalem that has apostatized from God. Meantime, we go back to the identity of this great city, Babylon. And we're told by John that he was called to see the judgment to see God dealing with this great city Babylon. But before he actually brings Babylon down, we see that there is an intimation made from the very throne of heaven itself. And we must keep in mind where we're going and what we're really considering. Going back to the very first chapter of Revelation, just to refresh our minds. This Revelation is a pastoral epistle, as we've seen, to the seven churches. And it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. He is central in the whole, the whole book. And if we do not see Him. We miss what we're intended to see. Now, when John writes, verse 4 of chapter 1, he writes, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are, from, uh, which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and note, and the prince of the kings of the earth. This book of the Revelation is from the prince of the kings of the earth. Now, that's important that we keep that in mind. It is from the prince who is over all the kings and all the other princes of this world. This is the one who said to his apostles, All power is given unto me (coughs) in heaven and in earth. Now, as we see... The great prince Emmanuel enthroned. We noted that in a much earlier stage. From that throne comes this intimation. Verse 4 of chapter 18. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her my people. Now no angel possesses the church or the people of God. So this can only be the one of whom Paul told Timothy, the Lord knoweth them that are his. The Lord knows his people. And here is an intimation to his people, not to the heathen, not to the ungodly, but to his people. And what is the throne commanding to God's people, come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Here is a command from the throne to God's people that they are to come out of Babylon. They are to come out of the system that is represented by Babylon and symbolized by Babylon and identified as this woman in chapter 17 when John is coming to see the judgment of the great whore. Who does he see? That's to be judged. He sees a woman, as we noted earlier, sitting upon a scarlet-colored beast, sitting upon many waters, which are people, and so on. And here she is described. He saw this woman, which is Babylon, seated upon a scarlet-colored beast. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand. Now, every detail is significant. Her attire is described and the particular thing about her is this. In her hand is a golden cup. In her hand is a golden cup full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Upon her forehead was a name written. Now, of course, in John's society, in Roman society at the time, a harlot in Rome, in Roman society, was identified. She would often have a band on her forehead, and she was uh, displaying herself as a harlot, exhibiting herself, and she would have her harlot name, that she could be recognized that she was offering her services to Roman society. So John understands what he's seeing here. On her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon. Not just Babylon. This is not historic Babylon. This is Mystery Babylon. There's something peculiar about this Babylon. Now we noted, where John saw her in the wilderness, at the very place where previously the woman that brought forth the man-child had to escape to And little wonder that John is mystified. And John wonders with great admiration, trying to figure out how is this. And then the angel, of course, and. Un- Uh, folds the mystery to him but this Babylon is mystery Babylon the great the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth and I saw the woman drunken he saw her attire he saw the golden cup but he saw her behavior she's drunken She is a shameless woman. She is a woman that is drunken and not in control of her emotions or her actions or even her thinking. She's drunken. Drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered. Now you will note When we go down in chapter 17, to verse 18, we get this information. The woman which thou sawest, this woman with the golden cup, this woman that is drunken. The woman which thou sawest is that great city, which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Now, John knew perfectly well what city ruled over the kings of the earth. It could not be any other than Rome, the great city of Rome. And yet, it is not called Mystery Rome. It is not called the great city heading the empire of Rome. It is instead called Babylon. So we have to understand why this mystery exists. It is a spiritual identity. Now God, through the intimation from the throne, the glorious head of the church, the shepherd of his people, is calling on his people who are there in this Babylon, in this great city, who are somehow or other involved with this drunken woman to come out from her. They ought not to be there. They ought to come out. Now, there are many many commentators and I believe it is in part because of the ecumenical spirit that exists and has existed now for many years headed of course from 1948 with the great world council of churches where they would all amalgamate and finally there would be one great world church And because of that, because of the embrace by many evangelicals of the papacy and the Church of Rome as a Christian church, and is indeed in the world's eyes the Christian church, because of this, there is a great reluctance to face the fact of what John was seeing. This woman doesn't just appear here on the pages of scripture at the very end of the canon. We see this woman and John has seen her and John has been able to read of the prophets and how they identified her and what they knew about her, and what their expectations were. You see, this woman is drunk, we are told, (coughs) and she's committing fornication with the kings of the earth. Verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk, with the wine of her fornication. Now, when men suggest that Babylon is really the world, the ungodly world out there, nothing to do really with the church, this is the ungodly world persecuting the church. Well, the question immediately arises, how then does the world Commit fornication with the world. What sense does that make? You see, this is a judgment upon a system and a religious system that has corrupted the world. Now, you will often hear, I understand what is meant when it is said, the church infiltrate, or the world rather, infiltrates the church. Not scripturally. Indeed, it is as clear as clear as crystal that the church rather embraces the world and draws the world into her very bosom. That's God's way of describing this unclean and immoral relationship between the church and the world. And here we have the apostate church, I believe, identified in the world. It has joined with the world. The woman is riding... On the back of the beast. And she is committing fornication with the kings of the earth. Now, just going back to the fact she holds a golden cup in her hand. It is a golden cup. It's an expensive And a valuable cup, but what does it represent? You will hear it referred to, nobody seems to explain it. A golden cup, and it is in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. She and those with whom she lives in this immoral relationship drink out of this cup. But what is its significance? Well, it should be in part becoming clear. God says, come out of her, my people. And you go back to the epistle that Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you will, first of all, chapter 10, you will see there Paul writing to the Corinthians. And this is what he says of the cup of remembrance in the ordinance of the church. Verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 10, the cup of blessing which we bless Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? What does the cup represent? Communion and fellowship. You go over to chapter 11, and Paul there speaks of the cup again, reminding the Corinthians of the command from the Savior to remember his death. In an appointed way, and the cup is the cup of the New Testament in his blood. And then, going back to chapter 10, what does Paul say, verse 21? Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. So it's very clear the cup speaks of communion. The cup speaks of fellowship, of a relationship of communion and of fellowship. Here's this woman, and she's got a golden cup in her hand, in contrast to the cup that belongs to the true church. There is life in the cup that the Savior gave to the church. Symbolically, his blood is the life of his people shed to give them life. Now here is this woman with the golden cup. She is an evil woman, but she holds up the cup of communion And it is a communion with the kings of the earth and they're in communion with her. And therefore, what is the throne of heaven say? Come out of her, my people. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and at the same time drink the cup of devils. And you cannot drink out of that golden cup and drink out of the cup that belongs to the Church of Christ appointed by the Savior in the second epistle that Paul writes to the Corinthians there in chapter 6. It's very clear what the position of Paul was and what he required of these Corinthians. Chapter 6, verse fourteen, Second Corinthians. Be ye not... Unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Nay. These are serious questions that Paul is putting to the Corinthians and he their rhetorical questions as though they don't even need answering. The answer is in the question itself in the context. What agreement have the temple of God with idols? Verse seventeen Wherefore Come out from among them. The same call that we have in Revelation chapter 18. Come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So here the call is for the Corinthians to come out from among certain men. Be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Touch not the golden cup. Touch not the adulterous and evil relationship. Come out from among them and be ye separate My people. Now Jesus, in John 17, told his disciples that they were in the world. They weren't to expect to go out of it like the monks did in the early centuries, going out as hermits to live in the desert so that they wouldn't be contaminated with the sins of others, which of course didn't work anyway. But Here, uh, the Savior makes it clear in John 17, you're in the world, you're not of it, but you're in it nevertheless, and you're the light in the world, you're the salt of the earth, you're in it, but you're not of it. And uh, uh, he doesn't call, come out of the world, in that sense. But you come out, as Paul writes to the Thessalonians, And he tells them that they are to withdraw from any brother who walks disorderly. Withdraw even from brethren who walk disorderly. Their behavior is not becoming the gospel. So you see, God expects his people to be separate, not just from the ungodly world out there and the spirit of that world, but from ungodly professing Christians. And the great problem is no one hears about such a call today. No one believes it is even necessary for a true child of God to separate himself or herself from the infidels that are running so much of the professing church in our day. Our own Westminster Confession makes it very clear that there's no perfect church in the world And even the most perfect have their flaws. But some have so degenerated that they are to be considered as the synagogue of Satan. And I might be bold enough to say that we've got one of the synagogues of Satan right here in this town. Namely the cathedral just not very far from here. And how, how is it that there's no call for supposed Christians to come out of such systems, to separate from such infidelity and such apostasy? We don't hear it anymore. We don't hear of any need, just stay there and get to heaven through it all. You see, the portion that we have before us here in Revelation depicts a city in contrast to the great city of the New Jerusalem. You will see that there is apparently a a degree of likeness In the two cities. You go over to chapter 18 verse 16. Listen to the laments of the merchants. Verse 16. Alas, alas. That great city. Which was clothed in fine linen. And purple and scarlet. And decked with gold. And precious stones and parents now we shall go over to the old testament in a moment but then just look at what uh, john hears as the description of the lamb's wife <coughs> and we're told <coughs> verse chapter twenty one John saw <coughs> the holy city verse two New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So this is the bride of Christ, the bride of the Lamb, depicted as a city once again. And she is as a bride adorned for her husband. And how is she described in the chapter we have uh, her likeness described. <coughs> for She's got 12, <coughs> 12 foundations, by the way, down in verse uh, 14. The wall of the city had 12 foundations. The other city of Babylon, no mention of a foundation, but this city has 12 foundations. It is the most secure. Babylon Falls Jerusalem cannot fall. But then again in chapter 19, you have the, uh, the great king himself uh, mentioned on, uh, in verse 16 of Revelation 19. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh in him written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is his city, the new Jerusalem. David conquered the first Jerusalem and it became the city known as the city of the great king. This new Jerusalem is the city but also the bride of the great king and his name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now if you go back To the Old Testament you will find that there are only two kings who are ever referred to as king of kings. Go to Daniel and the great Nebuchadnezzar is referred to. Daniel describes him as the head of gold in the great image. Thou art a king of kings. And you have again that seem Nebuchadnezzar and Ezekiel referred to as king of kings in the little book of Ezra you have again Artaxerxes who was also a king of Babylon and he's referred to as king of kings so only two kings both kings of Babylon were referred to as king of kings. Now here is mystery Babylon. This is not the old Babylon. This is mystery Babylon. And this mystery Babylon, as we noted earlier, has its own king, but our attention is drawn to the true king of kings, and the true Lord of lords, as we said <clears throat> earlier, chapter 1, he is the prince of the kings of the earth. He's king of kings, and he is Lord of lords. But his bride is adorned to meet him, and she is arrayed also in fine linen. Chapter 19, verse 8, to her well, verse 7, to get the connection, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. This is the lamb who is the king of kings and lord of lords and this is his bride, this is his queen, this is his wife arrayed to meet him and to her. She made herself ready, to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the linen is the righteousness of saints. What about the woman riding upon the beast, sitting upon the many waters? What about this woman? What is she say chapter eighteen verse? Seven, how much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously so much torment and sorrow. Give her, for she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. She's very confident. She feels very secure. I sit a queen. And as she sits a queen, she is arrayed clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold. And the bride is decked in fine linen, which is the righteousness of saints. Amidst all the corruptions of this woman, this mysterious Babylon, somehow or other there's white linen there is a show or a pretense of righteousness. In spite of all her abominations, she bears some similarity, it seems, to the true bride of Christ. Now, when we go back to the Old Testament, we go back, for example, to the uh, book of Exodus, And there you have God giving directions to Moses about the setting up of the tabernacle and the instituting of the priesthood and the sacrificial system, and so on. Now, what do we read here concerning this system and the setting up of it? Chapter 28 of Exodus, verse uh, 5. They shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. They shall make the epod of gold, of blue and of purple and of scarlet and of fine twined linen with cunning work. And so on. Now you can see the similarity to the apparel of the woman, the harlot woman in Revelation 17, there is these similarities. This is a religious woman in many ways. Verse, You can go to verse 15 of chapter 28, Exodus. Thou shalt make the breastplate of a judgment with cunning work after the work of the apod. Thou shalt make it of gold, of blue, of purple, of scarlet, and of fine Wine linen, thou shalt make it, and so on. And you can go through that chapter and you can see further these very materials that are here presented to us worn by this immoral woman. Somehow or other, there is an identity on her part With the church of Christ, let it be the Old Testament or the New Testament. Now, as I said, the world does not uh, commit fornication with the world. But God tells us who does. And if you go back with me to the uh, prophecy of Ezekiel... You'll find there, well, you can find it in Isaiah and also in Jeremiah, but for the present, chapter 16 of Ezekiel. And who does God accuse here? Who does God identify here as the harlot? We must never, ever forget. Whatever John sees... Whatever John hears in Revelation, much of what he hears, he understands. On this occasion, as in uh, chapter 18, the angel has to explain certain things because he's mystified by them. But for many things, there's no explanation. John knows its significance. Here in Ezekiel chapter 16 Verse 15, and perhaps we might go back uh, to the beginning of the chapter. Verse 1, again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. Cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. And then, they are, Jerusalem is reminded, it's not just the city, but Jerusalem represents the covenant community, the, the, the church of the Old Testament. Verse 6, when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. And then you have a description of the grace and the mercy toward Jerusalem when first God takes her and gives life to this body of his people. But then, verse 15, after God does all this, but thou didst trust in thine own beauty. And this was the beauty that God had given. Thou didst trust in thine own beauty and it's the harlot because of thy renown and pouredst out thy fornications on every one that passed by. His it was, and of thy garments thou didst take and deckest thy high places with diverse colours, and played the harlot thereupon, the like things shall not come, neither shall it be so. And thou hast taken thy fair jewels and my gold and my and of my silver, which I had given thee, and madest to thyself images of men, and didst commit whoredom with them, thou tookest thy broidered garments and coverest them, and thou hast set mine oil and mine incense before them, and so on. Say so here what is God accusing. Jerusalem of old of doing. Taking the blessings and making use of them for immoral purposes with the kings of the earth. Committing spiritual whoredom. That's what God is accusing Jerusalem of doing. Go to verse 26 of this chapter. Thou hast also committed fornication with the Egyptians, thy neighbors, great of flesh, and hast increased thy whoredoms to provoke me to anger. Verse 28. Thou hast played the whore also with the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, because thou wast unsatiable. Yea, thou hast played the harlot with them, and yet couldst not be satisfied. Now when you read this and you read what's in Revelation 17 John seeing this. Where will his mind go? What do you think? Little wonder it's mystery babble. Little wonder he's amazed. Surely, surely not. This couldn't be. But this is the state of things that was to be the lot and the portion of the church, the things that were still future. The church becoming so corrupted that it is embracing the world just as Israel of old had done. It embraced the heathen. It embraced their godless practices. It drew them in and mixed them with the worship of God and so on. Verse Uh, 29, thou hast moreover multiplied thy fornication in the land of Canaan unto Chaldea, and yet thou wast not satisfied therewith. Verse 32, but as a wife that committeth adultery which taketh strangers instead of her husband, They give gifts to all whores, but thou givest thy gifts to all thy lovers. (coughs) Exactly as it is in Revelation. Why are the merchants crying out? Why are the kings lamenting? Why are the shipmasters? Why are they all lamenting at the downfall of the great city of Babylon? Because she made them rich. Just as here, God is accusing Jerusalem and His people of old. Instead of them coming to give gifts to you, as would be expected, you instead have given them gifts to come to come and uh, commit whoredom with you. And what He is God is saying is this: It is totally unnatural. verse. Uh, 33, again, they give gifts to all whores, but thou givest thy gifts to all thy lovers, and hirest them, that they may come unto thee in every side for thy whoredom. And the country is in thee from other women in thy whoredoms, whereas none followeth thee to commit whoredom, and so on. Verse 35, wherefore, O harlot? hear the word of the Lord, and you can go on down through that chapter. As I said, you can go to chapters in Isaiah and Jeremiah. John could have gone to them, and he would have understood something, but there was still a mystery, because it's not Jerusalem. It's not called Jerusalem, this great city. It was Jerusalem In Ezekiel's days, but here it is Babylon. And yet, the description is similar. The behavior is similar. And God is not calling his people to come out of Jerusalem. But he's calling them to come out of Babylon. Because the corruption is so extensive. Come out of her My people. Now, note one or two things regarding the description that is given of this woman. First of all, she is a most seductive woman. She is seducing the kings of the earth. Now, when we were looking at the previous chapters, great dragon, the beast that comes out of the sea, the beast that comes out of the earth, this wicked, diabolical trinity of identities and personifications. What was it all about? What was the thing in particular that was engaging men? Worship. The thing that we're told is this, They worshipped the beast. That's what we're told. That's what the emphasis is upon. The worship. The worship that should have been devoted to God is devoted to the beast. False worship. Antichrist worship. Idolatrous worship. uh, Devilish worship. The cup of this woman is the cup of devils, full of abominations, full of the filthiness, the immorality, that is now, fill this cup, and now what is God saying from the throne, come out of her my people. How can my people be identified with this fellowship, with this communion, with this harlot woman, with this abominable woman and her activities. And I believe that it is the duty of any true child of God to separate themselves from any Church that professes the name of Christ and can condone the abominations that are presently embraced by the church. You think of it? The abominations bound up with gay rights it is absolutely fascinating to see the churches that are identified and openly identify themselves as welcoming gays, gay ministers, woman ministers, male and female gay ministers, gay elders, the family disintegrating, pastors, don't seem to find any problem with divorces that are unbiblical. Then they'll remarry divorced persons who have no legitimate biblical reason for the divorce. And on and on it goes. I was absolutely amazed. I looked up some statistics, and I know they're a bit out of date. Nevertheless, they reflect the, the way in which our society is going. And the church is embracing so much of it. This is only from uh, 1962 to 2003, so it's a little behind, but it's, it won't have improved. It will have got a lot worse. During that period of time in America, Births to unmarried girls increased, listen, by 500%. By 500%. Reported child abuse, listen, by 2,300%. Divorce rate... In that period increased by 350%. What percentages? Illegal drug use among youths, listen, by 6,000%. Can you believe that? The darkness of society, the depths to which it is sinking, teenage Suicides in that period increased by 450%. Pregnancies surgically terminated at the mother's request by 25%. Now, I'm sure there are other statistics. These are government statistics. Where is our society going? Why is the church that professes the name of Christ condoning so much? The mother's will and wish is more important than the child in her womb. What's the government even in Australia doing? What are they even some of the police forces calling for more liberation for the young to have more access to drugs why are there so many accidents on the highways because of drugs drunken insane not able to comprehend The results of all these sins that were in the past abominations. The Church of Jesus Christ stood against all these immoral activities and immoral actions and now the Church says we embrace, we embrace homosexuality. We embrace even the woman's right To have an abortion and kill her unborn child. We embrace divorce when couples get tired of each other and they feel the need to separate. We give them our blessing. The church. We talk about the world coming into the church. The reason the world comes into the church is because the church has embraced it. Like this woman. This evil woman. The kings of the earth. She induces them. She seduces them with her gifts. And she draws them. What is the church doing now? It is imitating the world. It's worship. It's methodology. It is copying the world in order to seduce. That's what it is. It's seducing poor lost men and women. And young people. Seducing them to religion. False religion seducing them into false forms of worship. Drawing them, attracting them, making what is undesirable to the natural man. will make it desirable. We'll seduce you. We'll set up music groups. We'll get our bands. We'll give you entertainment. We will seduce you. Oh, the preaching of the word isn't attractive. We can't win you that way. The singing of the sounds is not attractive. We can't win your support that way. But we will seduce you by entertaining you, by appealing to you what you want. We'll give you what you want. I believe, as the duty of any Christian in this congregation to be seeking when you come into contact with people that have got themselves involved in these things to show to them from the word of God they ought to be getting out of it because God says, come out of her, my people. That you be not partaker of her sins. Don't you see what's clear there? It is sin by association. That you be not partakers of our sins. By association you bring guilt upon yourself. And here's God saying, through John, come out of her my people. I don't want my people mixed up in that abominable system and we shall see When we go back again, the connection, we shall see how this system develops out of imperial Rome into papal Rome and so on. The great city that rules over the kings of the earth, Rome, but described as Babylon, and its sins are the sins of Jerusalem in the past. But time is gone. We must leave it there just now. May the Lord bless his word. Most holy and eternal God, we rejoice, we have thy word. Thou art the God who knows the end from the beginning. And thou art the God who has an eye upon thy people. And thou art calling them in this dark day, if ever there was a day when that call ought to be heard. It has to be in our day. Have mercy on those who even this day are supporting churches and ministers that are embracing the abominations that are condemned in thy word. Lord God, grant a reviving of true biblical godliness in our day and deliver those who would try to drink from the cup of the Lord and still drink. From the cup of devils, may we avoid, like the plague, that golden cup of fellowship and communion with ungodliness. Bless thy word, pardon us, receive us. For Christ's sake, amen.